A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Pat Cummins. I'm Josh Hazelwood. I'm Elizabeth Kowaja. I'm Mitch Marsh. I'm Mitch Stark, and you're listening to The Unplayable Podcast. This is the Unplayable Podcast. On this week's episode, we're coming to you live from Western Australia, where we preview the second domain test at Perth Stadium. And to do that, it's my absolute pleasure to welcome back a favourite of the show, cricket.com.au senior writer, Andrew Ramsey. Damn, I'm delighted to be here. The good thing is that it's uh, the rest of the country. This is Test Match Eve for us. We're two matches out, two days out because we're in Perth. <laughs> That's right. Now, I mean, what's been happening since we last spoke to you? I think the last time you were on the program, you were giving us an update about the eth- ethical reviews and the governance change and all that type of stuff. What's been happening between now and then? Well, not much really. There's a few people have come and gone. Um, a few issues have been uh, raised and dealt with, um, but. What hasn't changed is since in that time is that Australia haven't won a test match. We're now going back to uh, six games ago before they had a win in South Africa. So that's been the uh, the, the real thread that's been running through this whole saga. Uh, cultural review has exposed a few things that are there redressing off the field. Um, unfortunately, the on-field stuff is proving a little more difficult to turn around. Right, you were there for the first domain test match at the Adelaide over your home ground. What was your takeaway from the first test? It would have been magnificent as a day-night test. That's my first takeaway. The first two days were uh, stinking hot. You would have had big crowds come down after work, Thursday, Friday nights. Then there's rain Saturday morning that washed out the session, which wouldn't have mattered if it had mm. started later in the day. So uh, with the full 2020 uh, benefits of retrospectivity, that would have been ideal. Unfortunately, India don't like the pin ball, so uh, they were probably vindicated by playing the first test there in traditional daytime conditions and coming out in front. I think the other big takeaway was that you don't need to uh, have a 450-run first innings test pitch to make for a good test match. Yeah. I mean, that was intriguing stuff. It was you know scores of around 250 per innings. That's how it was like when you first started watching cricket back in the day. On uncovered pitches, uh, bowlers in hobnail boots. Uh, eight ball overs. Eight ball overs. Uh, players <laughs> smoking a deep fine leg, I think, not and not through only through tobacco. Um, and it you kind of find out who can play and who can't. It's as someone said to me, when the bowling conditions are good for bowlers, then the bowlers actually have to show that they're up to it. Mm. So it takes puts a bit of scrutiny on them. Certainly puts big scrutiny on batting techniques. Um, the fact that only a couple of guys got to 50 for the whole match suggests that it wasn't impossible, but it was also, if you plugged away as a bowler, you could expose some weaknesses here and there. So it was what someone told described it as an old-fashioned test match, which is always good for me because I like old-fashioned. <laughs> and do you reckon it lived up to the hype? There was so much built into that first test match. Virat Kohli versus Australia, the new-look Australians, Justin Langer's first test on home soil, new openers, the Ashes-winning attack were there, India with their best fast bowling attack ever. I think the bowling coach today said that it's their best attack uh, over the past 12 months that they've ever fielded. Do you reckon it lived up to the hype? Uh, it probably did in the way that you know, both well, the first day started when you, you, a lot of scrutiny on Australia's bowlers because that was if they were going to win the game, that was going to be probably the way they were going to do it. They knocked over India's top order. And, you know, Virat 
make runs. They were. What were you thinking then? Were you thinking three day test match? I would. Who needs the pick ball? Who needs the pick ball? I always like to see the game go the distance, as you know. Um, But you did think, well, if only Australia can find some runs on this pitch, then they could almost put the game beyond reach. But as from four for not many, uh, I think the Indians rallied in the the back end of that innings with Ashwin and Pajara putting together a partnership. They couldn't quite put them away for less than 200, which was what would have set them up. And then, of course, the Australian innings started in a spectacular clatter of stumps. Um, Mm. And you realise then that it was a difficult pitch to bat on and perhaps the Australian top order is not quite as robust as we've come to expect over the last 20, 30, 150 years. Uh, And that was exposed. But it became a bit of an attritional battle at that point. It wasn't traditional test cricket where you've got boundaries flowing and um, batters getting in. It was just a constant grind and bowling attacks that were disciplined and just plugging away at the Slow outfield areas. too, wasn't it? it was Very un- uncharacteristic. Uh, we haven't had a, uh, a damp spring in Adelaide. I'm not quite sure what happened there. Maybe mm. the mower's broken down. There's electricity issues, as you know, in Adelaide, so perhaps the electric mower wasn't as effective as it could have been. Right, well, let's look ahead to the second test. We're at Perth Stadium now. There, Some alarming statistics have been revealed today. We can exclusively reveal these, Andrew, that uh, the home team has never won at Perth Stadium, no matter what format or level of competition, whether it be Big Bash or One International, T20, uh, Sheffield Shield, the home team has always lost. So it doesn't bode well for the Aussies. I was told many years ago by someone who knows nothing about cricket that when you move into a new home, it often takes you three months to familiarise yourself with everything. You don't feel like you're at Mm -hmm. home until you've been there for three months. A bit like when you open the top drawer and the forks and the knives are all in different spots or something like that. Yeah, or in my case, you don't have any forks and knives. It's just a pair of takeaway chopsticks. But (laughs) maybe that's it. Maybe the fact that the home team... They haven't had much training there either, even today. The, the pre-test training was conducted at the Wacker, so maybe they don't actually know what the vagaries of the ground are. Um, one of those T20 games, I think I was there for the T20 BBL final yeah. last year, yes. and the Scorchers couldn't trace down the Hurricanes total that was expected they would, given their batting. So there might be a few tricks in the pitch that people haven't become to expect yet. We've certainly gleaned a little bit of insight, haven't we, Sam, as to how the pitch may play? We have. Now, we spoke to, uh, all say, an unnamed Western Australia men's coach. We won't give away who it was, but we were speaking him, running across paths with him today, and he said... Not the former Western Australian men's coach, we might add. Not the former one, the the current one, unnamed. And what did he tell us? He said that uh, you look at the pitch on day one, look green and feel hard and you'll think oh you want to bowl first but then come days four and five be cracking those big snaky cracks will be running up the pitch and you don't want to be batting out there and i think they've only played one four-day game there and uh, i think western australia did just that won the toss and decided to bowl and uh, got knocked over on the final day um i think the other thing is that there's very hot weather forecast a bit like it was in adelaide for the first day mm. of the, the test there so if there is some small cracks in the surface and it is prone to falling apart, then they will, it'll dry out and they'll become a factor probably sooner rather than later. So it sounds like you've got a classic test match cricket. Yeah. You've got a difficult conditions there for batting on the first, certainly the first session, if not the first day. But if you can get through that, you can set the game up maybe. Mm. Um, As we know, you can't judge a pitch until both teams bat on it. It's proven in Adelaide. Very true. That is that is a truism. Um, 
also traditionally if it's the the old style Perth pitch they you can score quite quickly because mm. the, the ball coming on of course the Wacker was a very fast outfield unlike Adelaide at the moment I'm yeah. not sure if the the new stadium has uh, outfield wise what that's like but uh, certainly you can score quickly so if you could get in get through the new ball period um get some runs on the board then come the end of that match uh, if it's going to crack and open up not just the spinners come into play then, yeah. as, as we saw last year with you know, Mitchell Stark on a pitch that had a, at least one crack in it. Mm. Strange things can happen. They can. I guess there'll be a lot of new um, new features to the stadium, and a lot of the ones that have become so well-known at the Wacker will no longer be there, like the, the Frio Doctor. Will the Frio Doctor be rolling in in the afternoon? You know, It gives a bit of respite to the fast bowlers, that nice breeze behind their back. Uh, I mean, it's, it's an open stadium, the Wacker. It's all... Closed in at uh, the Perth Stadium. I mean, what's going to happen to the Freo Doctors? Going to might have to buy a ticket to get in, or well, maybe just get a KO subscription and watch it from there. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know, especially if it's going to be a very hot day in the uh, first or second day. They're talking 38 degrees. You may need the Perth paramedic to come in through one of those subterranean tunnels. They might be able to sort yeah. of pipe it out onto the ground. They can do a lot of fancy things at that stadium. Perhaps that's one mm. of them. They might have a wind machine. Um, it'll also be very, very exciting for. Those of us who are mad about stats, you'd be the first batsman to score a boundary at the yes. new stadium, the first person to take a wicket at the new stadium. It'll be a memorabilia mountain by the end of the game. There'll be uh, opportunities everywhere you look. I was going to ask you that. I mean, you've been around cricket for a, a little while. Is this the first match that you've been to at a new ground, or have you have you crowned a few other ones, christened a few other ones? Gee, that takes me, doesn't it? I think I was at Lords for the first game they played there <laughs> in 1731. Um, but, of course, I was only young. Um, Did you go to the top end? No, no, I didn't do that series. You never quite know when you go to India, you go to... That's the ground, true. The ground I went to in <laughs> Pune uh, last year was not the ground I went to in Pune in 2003, so they tend to move those around a bit. And mm. um, But, no, I went to Durham when it was quite young, at Chester Le Street, but that had been used for... Uh, at least one international before then. So, Certainly for a test match, I think this is the first time I've been on debut. Wow, okay. Uh, let's look at the Aussies, Rambo. Uh, squad of 14, there's only 13 here in Perth. Chris Rain is not with the squad. Uh, Mitchell Marsh has linked back up with the side after playing in that Shield match at Victoria. Um, what are we thinking about the 11, Rambo? Are we, are we expecting the same 11 or are we expecting the same personnel, maybe in a bit of a different order? Uh, yeah, I can't really see any personnel changes unless someone pulls up hurt after training tomorrow. I think the you know, Peter Siddles is obviously the spare fast bowler if one of those uh, tweaks an ankle or something. Um, you'd have to think that if Mitchell Marsh is the spare batter and he wasn't deemed to be in good enough form to get into the top six in Adelaide, then probably not a lot has changed in his favour. He didn't make a huge score in the Shield game for WA. No, it didn't uh, take many wickets either. No, and they're probably bowling's not. They're not going to need a, a fifth bowler. You wouldn't think if this pitch is as they describe. Um, I think they, the four they had, he did a pretty reasonable job in Adelaide. So you'd have to think their only thoughts might be tweaking them around a bit. You know, Aaron Finch at the top of the order is he the answer? But if he hasn't got technique as an opener. Do you play him as a number three? Is that going to add anything? Yeah. If he comes in in the first over against the new ball, is that not the same problem? Um, it's yeah, pretty I interesting today, isn't it? We saw they had a centre-wicket practice out in the middle of the whacker, 
and uh, Mitchell Stark and Peter Siddle were opening the bowling, I guess, from one end. Um, but out there was Marcus Harris and Usman Khawaja while Aaron Finch was in the whacker nets with the middle order. You would think that if they're trying to develop an opening combination that Harris and Finch would go everywhere together. And they don't even open for the shield side, shield side but you would think in the Aussie setup that they would be um, tied to the hip, wouldn't they? Well, you think if they were trying to replicate match conditions out in the middle, and that would have been the yeah. ideal time for them to... Because they haven't spent a lot of time as an opening combination. Certainly in the first innings, it was three balls. Um, mm. So they're going to try and build that. But whether... If they look at Kawaja as an opener to come in, uh, does, does that mean that Finch slides down to the middle, or do they just put Sean Marsh to number three and everyone else moves up a spot and mm. Finch comes in at six? Uh, maybe that's what they're thinking. I don't know. It seems like a... Uh, if they've picked him as a specialist opener, um, which is what you would have to suggest looking at Adelaide, do they then not regard him as a specialist opener a week later? Uh, you have to, can't say that experiment worked particularly well if it was an experiment, um, but maybe Usman's record as an opener is pretty good in yep. test cricket. Uh, maybe they've seen something there. Two left-handers, another left-hander to come, Sean yeah. Marshall, perhaps a three. You have to think maybe they want to try and negate something, not have so many middle-order left-handers? I don't know. Potentially. We spoke a little bit about the fast bowlers. Uh, there was a bit of talk about Mitchell Stark's performance in the first test. I mean, he figured, finished with figures of 5 for 103 from 41 overs, uh, give or take a ball, uh, which statistically-wise looks great, doesn't it? But he was wayward at times, wasn't he? Rambert? Probably didn't have the rhythm that the best of Mitchell Stark can uh, deliver. Um he was out there bowling today, only probably bowled three or four overs max, I reckon. Did a lot of fielding at the centre wicket practice while the other bowlers were doing laps and had a bit of a net at the back. What do we read into that? Is he just trying to regather a bit of that rhythm? He didn't hasn't played a whole lot of cricket, but neither of those fast bowlers have. I wonder what um, the thinking behind that was today, just to give him a couple of extra balls and try and get him ready for the second test. You'd have to think so, wouldn't you? Like if, if all the talk is of the Perth pitch being fast and bouncy and if you have got a bowler who can bowl you know, upwards of 145 k's an hour and we don't know what the breeze is going to do, but he can swing the ball, to have him carrying the drinks out if you're playing on a fast, bouncy pitch would just you know, you'd leave you open to uh, mockery, I think. Mm. If, uh, and you're right, in Adelaide he wasn't at his best. He... Um, they took the second new ball in the second innings. He got, I think, two overs with it and was a bit wayward. Sent a few down that poor old Tim Payne couldn't lay a glove on. Uh, His records <laughs> took uh, a bit of a battering, didn't it? And I heard someone say that keepers don't care too much about buys because they understand that some of them are just unstoppable. But, um, uh, but after the third of those, Tim Payne did look decidedly unimpressed that the, he was hooping it down leg side and he was no chance to stop them. So you just think that if he's... They have to give him a chance here, I think. They have to throw him in. If India are going to have susceptibilities, it's going to be against you know short, fast bowling on a bouncy track because they just don't see that very much. Um, and there was none of that at Adelaide, was there? No, no, there was none of that in that pitch. It was a bit of sideways movement off the grass, but there was certainly no... It was, if anything, it was got slower for the first couple of days and the, the batters were able to just nudge it around here and there. Um, so... You've got Cummins who can do that bowl fast and intimidate people. You know, Hazelwood who pitches it up. But the the one X factor you probably want is the guy who can do a bit of both. You know, bang it in fast, frighten people, move it around, get them on the crease, and then fire in that sort of lethal Yorker that he's got. The in, and that's the the sort of stuff that's going to 
maybe you know, grab you a few quick wickets in succession, which is what they couldn't seem to do in Adelaide. They just, would, after the first hour or two, they were able to form partnerships. You just need someone who can come in and skittle them. Um, so you'd have to think that Stark plays. Uh, if he doesn't do well here as Mark Warsi today, then they may have to revisit that for future tests, but um, you'd have to think that they'd go with him in these conditions. He just brings so much to the table, doesn't he? He's the left-hander, uh, he's the left-armer. He broke that uh, opening wicket partnership in the second innings of India. Uh, you know how, how deadly he is around the wicket to the tail. And, I mean, he, did, he didn't he did bowl great with that second new ball, but he did swing it a lot, so that would be encouraging. If he got that uh, in the right spot, it would have been difficult to play. But uh, he also creates a lot of rough for Nathan Lyon and I guess Ravi Ashwin but uh, Nathan Lyon he had a fantastic game in Adelaide eight wickets lots of runs didn't get out did he I think he was no uh, he's the man they can't dismiss that's right he's our Pajara Australia's Pajara he has probably the best red ball record at the Perth Stadium of any bowler and I think there's a stat you can uh, maybe check out certainly of any spin bowler in red ball cricket at the Perth Stadium he's unmatched right yeah, well, how important is he going to be in the second test? And in terms of a stature in the team, he's got to be one of the first one picked now. Might, go, might go the captain and then him. Well, you'd have to think so, given that one of the vice captains can't get in the team. So uh, if it's not if he's not first or second picked, he's certainly number coming in at number three. <laughs> um, and you know, even his fielding, like he's you know he he prowls the field. He can field in the deep. He can field close in. He's kind of Mister Versatile, and. The way he batted in the last day, like if there'd been a couple of you know, middle-order batters still left hanging around, he didn't look like getting out. He didn't no. play a false shot. He was, except you know, when he got dropped. But except when he got dropped. But you know, they, earlier in the match, the hook shot that he played for six uh, was sort of Greg Chappell-esque. Yeah. Landing as it did near the Greg Chappell-esque stand. Um, so, yeah, he's obviously very confident. The Indians... they. This criticism has been, I heard this during the Adelaide test, he doesn't have enough variety in his bowling, but do you just think that he's, the pace that he bowls on these pitches and if this birth pitch is going to bounce, um, he's always been a handful on, on those sort of decks. So um, the Indian players didn't look totally confident against him, um, so he's got to be loom as a, as a trump card. He's doing all right, taking 320-odd wickets without any variety. Imagine if he gets a ball that goes the other way. Well, he would be unstoppable. He would be. He's got uh, one, doesn't he? It's Jeff. No one's ever seen Jeff. I don't think it's Jeff. What happened to Jeff? And how about the approach, Rambo, of the Australians? All very, very slow. I mean, like, even by Test match standards, I mean, you would have thought it was pulsating along, uh, but uh, just over two runs and over. But uh, I guess the wicket didn't allow them to play uh, with much expansive stroke play. But do you think we'll see a little bit more of that here in Perth if the wicket is bouncier, harder? truer for the first couple of days at least they might um, open their shoulders a little bit more and be a little bit more expansive and up that run rate um, you'd think so yeah, I, the one thing that kind of stood out in Adelaide one of the, one of the things that stood out in Adelaide was it's another takeaway this is another takeaway this is uh, the, the late like you've got all those chopsticks this is the late night pizza takeaway when you've forgotten to eat um, <laughs> one of the other obvious things in Adelaide, in Adelaide was Chiteshwa Pajara's ability just to knock the ball around into gaps and there was no one in the Australian order that seemed to be able to do that until Tim Payne came in on the last day and he brought with him that sort of sense of urgency that they'd been lacking. So you know, I think there was, if you couldn't play shots and score freely, there seemed to be the other alternative was to just drop anchor and survive, thinking that if you stayed out there for enough balls that the runs would come, but they just never did because India's bowling was so disciplined, their fields were so cleverly set that they 
stop you guys who've got a normal release shot. So uh, they didn't have a, a second or third gear, as the great Alan Border said, uh, told cricket.com.au during the Adelaide Test. That's one thing you learn when you play a bit of Test cricket is you, you need to be able to go through the gears. And if, if you find you're getting bogged down, it's not hitting a boundary, it's just getting yourself off strike and working out where the gaps are and coming up with a shot that can do it. So... Um, that's, I think that's something they probably will work on going to this test. Um, they realise that they just need to keep the scoreboard ticking over a bit because they were either stalled or barely moving. And the, the game, when you had young Rishabh Pant come in and just for all his, you know, the fireworks and the fact that he knew he wasn't going to last long, it just did change the momentum for a while. It gave them 35 runs, which in the end proved reasonably crucial. It did. Let's look at the Indians. Uh, Prithvi Shaw, the youngster... Rolled his ankle in that tour game. Uh, we haven't heard official confirmation yet, Rambo, but sounds like he's going to be ruled out of the second test and uh, looking to get looking to get back into the side for the Boxing Day match. Uh, if that's the case, probably can't see them changing their eleven either. Even though Virat Kohli is somewhat notorious for swapping his eleven, regardless of the result, I think he's only one or two times in his captaincy career he's gone into the uh, the next match with the same eleven from the the game before, but. Uh, the way the team played in Adelaide, probably have to think that they're going to go uh, with the same 11. Um, you'd think so. And he did point out that these are uncharted waters for India. They've never led in a series uh, in Australia before, so perhaps he may become uncharted uh, with his selection policy and go in with the same team. He does like to wobble his bowlers around often because they've had a big workload or he thinks conditions might suit. But I can't see that the seam attack they took into Adelaide would be any less effective on this track they've got a couple of spare seamers but they haven't done a lot of bowling they were doing a bit out in the middle of the whacker today but would be a pretty bold call to get rid of one of the, the three seamers who did the job for them in Adelaide probably the guy who is vulnerable is Murali VJ at the top of the order but he does provide a little bit of extra bowling option for them if they need a someone to you know, sneak in a few overs so uh, if Prithvi Shaw is not fit, and I saw him running or walking around the boundary line during the test in Adelaide, and he still had a bit of a limp up, and you'd think the tight turnaround between tests, they wouldn't want to risk that. So I can't see them making a change. But dare I say it, Sam, I have been wrong before. Yes, yeah, so the other one would be Rohit Sharma, and Hanuma Vahari was the other guy that was in contention for that number six spot. But Rohit didn't do a whole lot wrong, didn't do a whole lot in that test match in Adelaide. But again... Uh, Vahari is an off-spinning all-rounder and they probably won't need another off-spinner in this game uh, if it's going to be you know, so suited to fast bowling unless they really do shake it up and they go, well, Rohit, you can go open the batting, uh, get rid of VJ, and then Hanuma comes in and he replaces VJ as the off-spinner. But that's a bit radical, isn't it? Yeah, a bit radical when you're one up in the series. But the other thing that might be worth noting is that Rohit Sharma did spend a bit of time off the ground during the Adelaide Test, supposedly with a bit of a back niggle so um whether that's grounds for making change he, he didn't look overly convincing um got out in fairly stupid circumstances and he hit one up in the air ball mm. up being dropped so yes row hit maybe uh one they could change but um i think Virat would have to be pretty happy with the way the team played and forge on with the same 11 and as these are uncharted waters uncharted territory for Virat Kohli's side with one nil uh next to their name do you think they're going to be a little bit play with a bit more freedom in this game? I'm sure they were so stressed. I think you could almost see it on Coley. He was so determined to score runs, uh, especially in that second innings. Um, do you think they might play with a bit more freedom, knowing that they've got the advantage now that 
they've got that buffer in the series and uh, even if they well they're one test match away from retaining the trophy aren't they well they are um yeah it could even work the other way they may go back into their shells a bit because they probably realize these are the the most unfriendly conditions they'll encounter in terms of you know, their traditional with pitches and the strengths of the Australian side. So they may decide, well, we'll just you know, play this one very sedately, keep our wickets intact. If we can you know, muscle our way to a win that way, good and well. If not, if we can stretch it out for a draw, we don't lose our advantage in the series, and then we go to more benign conditions in Melbourne and Sydney. And you know. But you're right, Virat, who missed out throughout that 2017 series in India, missed out again in Adelaide. It's been a while since he's produced a score against Australia and he's so fiercely competitive that you think he will set himself for this game. Um, and if it's a fast, bouncy pitch and the Australian quicks are going at him, it could be compelling viewing if he decides to take the attack to them. Uh, oh, yeah. I think the worry is that the longer that Virat Kohli goes without a score, he's closer to a big one, big one isn't he? There is that, uh, yes. <laughs> the law of averages would tell you that. Uh, uh, then again, he you know, went throughout that series in India when, before he injured himself and became aggressively worse as he went along. So uh, mm. uh, maybe there's maybe they've got his measure. Well, did you, you touched on Pujara before. With all the attention pre-series, a lot of it was on Virat Kohli. Do you think the Aussies, maybe to some degree, they won't admit it, and I'm sure they haven't planned it this way, but they maybe put so much focus on, on Virat, or especially maybe people from the outside the the team, we all were looking at Virat to see how many runs he would score and people like Pajara and Rahane and Punt and these guys were somewhat overlooked and then they've come up and uh, surprised the Aussies. Um, Probably not a surprise though because they know how good Pajara is and he scored a couple of double hundreds against them. Yeah, I don't think they would, they would have been unaware but I assume the plans they had for him either didn't work or he was too good and he was able to negate them. Um the other thing is that you look at the India batting and you tend to focus on the explosive type players. So uh, Kale Rahul and uh, Coley and these guys who take the game on, Rohit, you know, blokes who score quickly and are big names in the IPL and they're known for their white ball deeds as well as test match cricket, whereas Pujaru is a classic sort of middle order super glue who holds the whole thing together and doesn't have a huge array of shots but knows his game inside out, nudges it round... Um, is not quite as fast between the wickets as he likes to think he is, so uh, he can become vulnerable there. But um, otherwise, there's not too many flaws in his game. Uh, and I think they just need to find a way of doing what the Indian bowlers did to the Australian players, you know, tying them down, not letting them get play the shots they want to play, um, and then wait for them to make a mistake when they're trying to you know, either score or relieve the pressure or whatever. So I don't know. They would have done a lot of homework on Pajara since that innings, I think, and... If they've come up with a plan, I think we'll see it fairly early in Perth. Yes. What about on the bowling front? Ishant Sharma bowled a couple of no balls that were called, bowled a lot of no balls that weren't called. What's going on there? That's a that's a problem that uh, elite fast bowlers probably shouldn't be suffering from uh, at test match level. We spoke to the bowling coach today, uh, India bowling coach today, and he just said he's going to work at it at training. But... Um, how do you fix this Rambo wing? Surely, if they had, all those runs have been, all those no balls have been called, they bowl the extra delivery. There could be runs of that. We might be sitting here with the the ledger the other way around. Uh, it's an unusual thing about watching cricket in Adelaide. Too. It's one of the few Test grounds where the viewing team viewing room is side on. So mm. 
the players, and I gather this is a little bit of a talking point in the Australian rooms, or has been since the the Perth the Adelaide Test, that he may have been overstepping a little more than was uh, people were made aware. Uh, so you're right. At the end of, at the end of being a Test match, it was decided why not many runs. That becomes crucial. Um, if you're seeing it happen time and time again, and no one's doing anything about it, you start to become a little bit aggrieved as a team. Um, I can't imagine there's that big a problem to fix. So there are so we've technology has moved on to the point that you, know, you can split atoms and mm. them, uh, put people on other planets. I can't see that being able to detect someone stepping over a line is that difficult, but uh, clearly there are some issues precluding that from happening. Virat Kohli did say after the Adelaide test that Ishant Sharma was amid the team celebrations very pissed off, was his words, if I can use that term on a family podcast. Go right ahead. Uh, that he realised that the sen- as the senior bowler, it's unacceptable for him to be doing that. So what measures he takes uh, in the interim to change that, I don't know. Whether the umpires will be more vigilant, start calling them straight away, I don't know. Whether uh, the non-striker batsman might keep an eye out for yeah. it and point it out to the umpire and mm-hmm. say, I think he overstepped there. There is, of course, a change of the umpiring roster for this test, so that may bring it into play. Um, certainly there's nothing more deflating for a team than taking a wicket and then having it called no ball subsequently um, but so if Ishant is aware of it and he wants to stamp it out he's the only one that can do it and you just take your marker back a bit further oh, that's what you? I thought just get the spray paint out or the, or the green paint that the curios provide you and just take it back an inch that's all it takes and if you call one in the first couple of overs of your spell I assume he's just going to go back and make sure he doesn't do it again and I think that's the, that was the thing that got under Ricky Ponting's uh, grill was that uh, he wasn't being told that he was overstepping so when he did take that wicket and it was a no ball he might not have known that he'd been overstepping the whole time but if an umpire calls it immediately and says look mate either you're really close to the line or you've just overstepped and we're going to call this one he might know then to take it back a little bit but if he's been doing it for t- 20 overs or something, and then he takes a wicket and it's a no ball, he might not have known. Well, isn't that also when you can bring that technology into play? When the, the I need some lasers or some extra cameras or something. What about the a drone? Flying fox. Yeah, there you go. The no ball drone that just hovers at near mid off. Um, There's a camera on the on a little cart there before, wasn't it? Some sort of remote control thing. Didn't they oh, have the, the rover or something? The dune buggy camera. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, I would imagine that was something they could do in ground, you know, just barely above grass level on either side that I don't know but surely the umpire can say too if he's seen a bowler who he thinks is getting close or maybe even overstep he alerts the third umpire and says can you just keep an eye on this for me for uh, yeah, the next over or so and then he immediately alerts say yes that one was a no ball you can make the call within a few seconds I yeah. would have thought can't you the one thing we don't know is just how difficult it is to um, and it might be really tough that these guys are bowling at extreme pace an umpire standing probably a couple of metres from behind the stumps. He has to look down, look up, and then judge everything that's happened in a split of a second. Probably has to do more than the batter does because he has to look down at the front foot line, look up, see where the ball pitched, where it hit, if the batter hit it or not, if he hit it through to the keeper. All these things have to go on and, and so quickly. But maybe they've just gone, well, let's just try and focus on the stuff at the other end and not the stuff that's closest to us. Oh, I don't like to be an old fuddy-duddy, but it's been ever thus, isn't it? Ever since the front foot rule was introduced, umpires have been having to watch the front foot, then look up, and most of the time in the last 40 years, they haven't had the benefit of technology to save them on the LBW. I'm just saying I don't know how to do it. I'm just saying I don't know how hard it is. 
No, neither it do It might I. be tough. I've never umpired as much as I like to be an expert on everything. But, uh, <laughs> I assume that if that's one of the skill set you have as an umpire, then you should be able to do it. We'll have to get an umpire on here. I vote we get Murray Erasmus on here. That would be a good uh, get, and uh, that would have to save me having to rabbit on about umpiring. <laughs> we'll wrap up with the Indian team with the exciting young wig keeper, Rispa Punt. Uh, a lot of Australian fans wouldn't know much about him. He's played his sixth test in Adelaide. That was the sixth win for India in Australia. Uh, he was exciting. Like you said, he got the 18 runs off that Nathan Lyon over uh, just after the break and really did change the momentum and the flow of the game. Um, it's great to see a young player like that. And he was one of the differences in the team. Uh, Tim Payne's a very orthodox wicketkeeper batter. But with Punt, when he comes out, you just really don't know what you're going to get. No, and he swung himself almost inside out from the first ball he faced <laughs> in the second innings, which was an interesting approach. I think they knew he was going to go hard, but then quite not that hard and not that early. Um, and he's a irrepressible character. He tends to chat a fair bit. He's got a bit to say for a 21-year-old. Um, they've had that in the past. I think in Stephen Waugh's last test, he got chipped by the, the wicketkeeper. Patif Patel. Patif Patel, who was a teenager, I think, at the time. Yeah. And, uh, didn't mind having a bit of a word. He grand old man of Australian cricket as he was um, but I think the group in addition to the, the exciting nature of his batting and the number of catches that he took and they were a combination of you know, edges off the quicks and skied chances I haven't seen him didn't have a lot to do off the spinner um, but I'm sure he's pretty tidy with Ashwin because he seemed to be able to pick all of his variations um, but isn't he just a gift to headline writers I mean <laughs> if you can't make a pant joke a pant pun. A pant pun. Uh, Something. Even if he has a bad day, you can reel out the pants off. Uh, <laughs> I'm just waiting for the... Drop catches as a wicketkeeper too, you know. Drop pant. Oh, know. seamless <laughs> pant. Oh, it's just... The list goes on, and I'm just waiting for the day that they discover he's got a twin brother and he's got a matching pair of pants. <laughs> <laughs> Two pants in the same team. It's, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, all right, Rambo, let's, uh, let's finish off with... A prediction, a bold prediction. We used to make these all the time. Um, I'm not going to ask you for the winner of the game, but is there something that the, the fans can can look out for? Shane Warne was very good with his uh, predictions. You are uh, uh, an equal with him on so many levels. Uh, I'm not sure what they are, but uh, you're quite uh, good at the old predictions of Nostra- Nostradamus type stuff. What do you got for us? Well, this is really guesswork territory not having seen a test match at the new Perth Stadium That's before true. so uh, we're flying by the skin of our Fremantle doctor here I thought you were going to say the seat of our Rishabh pants <laughs> that would have been labouring a joke that we've probably already done to death um, I think you will see an improved performance from the Australian team I just think that they for all the, the downcast and the pessimism that sort of came out of that last day inability to get over the line. They weren't that far off. No. And if they can find someone who can produce a score, you know, and I'm thinking 100 plus, Mm. uh, and from all the indications in Adelaide and given where we are now, you'd have to think that Sean Marsh would be a favour to uh, maybe find a bit of form, produce a score. If they can do that and their bowling attack can click, I think, you know, they're not that far away from, if not winning a test, and getting pushing one very close. So I think an approved Australian performance is my prediction. I can exclusively reveal that uh, the highest score by a Western Australian at Perth Stadium in a f- first-class fixture is 81 by Sean Marsh. Well, there you go. And Marcus Stoinis, they both got 81. If that's not a portent, then I'm not here. Well, 
wait and see, I suppose. That's all I can say. Have you got a prediction, Sam? You're very good with prediction. Prediction, prediction. Uh, well, let's just let's just get right behind Stark. Let's just say that uh, he's going to bounce back. He's going to enjoy these conditions. The Fremantle doctor will find its way in there somehow. It's going to aid Stark's swing. He might take a bag of there. He's actually got a very good record in one-day cricket in Perth. He got back-to-back five-wicket hauls against the Windies way back. And that was a white ball, though, when he was swinging around. So uh, let's just see. You think with a bowler of his calibre, of his standard, uh, he's never t- too far away from collecting a bag of wickets. So uh, my pre-series prediction was Nathan Lyon to get a hat-trick. And he was very close in Adelaide. He got had, it was a, had a hat-trick ball, but um, couldn't deliver. So, mm. Well, I think the other thing that may happen is that if the coin lands in Virat Kohli's favour and he looks at the pitch and decides to bowl. If you hear a distant giggling, that may be vaguely recognisable as the voice of an unnamed WA coach. <laughs> we will wait and see. Well, Rambo, thanks for coming back on. Maybe we'll have to get you on sometime soon again. I'll buy some new pants. That's it for this week's episode. If you haven't already, do yourself a favour and subscribe to the Unplayable Podcast on iTunes or Spotify. And if you want to watch all the cricket this summer, sign up to a KO subscription. But for all your news scores and video highlights, head to cricket.com.au and the CA Live app. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.